Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. Hell hath no fury like a home crafter whose fees get jacked up or something like that might be the slogan for the Etsy sellers going on strike this week after the online marketplace raised their fees from 5% per transaction to 6.5% as of yesterday. In addition to the strike, essentially a producer's boycott telling Etsy that the fees have gone too high, there's now been a petition started, 54,000 signatures at the same day the strike began, protesting the raising of the fees and a variety of other factors like... Off-site advertising that they say they're paying for but then competes with their individual website. Uh, failure by Etsy to properly police the marketplace, making sure that everybody who is selling things on Etsy is actually making their own handmade goods instead of, let's say, coming on purporting to be a handmade producer and then just taking orders and either reselling somebody else's goods or drop shipping them from a different location, whatever. Something that is clearly not the same as buying the handmade, homemade things that Etsy is supposed to be selling. People signing the petition are frustrated because they don't feel like they have a say in the process, no representation, and certainly they don't like the raising of the cost, which makes them less competitive against other possible places that people might buy things. In response to the petition, Raina Moskowitz, Etsy's chief operating officer, tells Newsweek, Our seller's success is a top priority for Etsy. Goes on to say that we are committed to providing great value for our 5.3 million sellers so they're able to grow their businesses while keeping Etsy a beloved, trusted, and thriving marketplace. It's the kind of corporate boilerplate diplo-speak response that doesn't exactly fit the Etsy brand of handmade with love and care. All right, I've got a little experiment for you. I'm going to play you a clip of a man speaking, and I want you to tell me whether he's speaking in Russian or Ukrainian. Here's the first clip. All right, now here's the second clip of a different man speaking. Is it Ukrainian or is it Russian? All right, have you figured it out? Do you know which one's Russian and which one's Ukrainian? If you couldn't tell, well... That's on you, but you're not alone. There's a lot of people who think the languages sound very similar, and in fact, there's been some experiments done that show that people who can speak Ukrainian can understand Russian and vice versa. So who were the speakers? Well, as you might have suspected, the first one was Vladimir Putin speaking Russian. The second was Volodymyr Zelensky speaking Ukrainian. Why do I do this little experiment? Because one of the things we've seen in the wake of the invasion by Russia into Ukraine is a massive spike in interest among people wanting to learn Ukrainian. Language learning app Duolingo says that since the beginning of this year, interest in studying Ukrainian among United States residents has increased over 500%. But in places that have seen high refugee intake from Ukraine, like, for example, Poland, that increase is 2,677% in just the last month and a half. With about 10% of Ukraine's total population leaving the country since the start of the war and about 5 million refugees, about half of which have gone to Poland, 
Obviously, the natural interest by people in Poland in learning to understand the language is very high. Meanwhile, Duolingo's done something kind of neat. They have pledged to not take any of the income, any of the ad revenue that might be connected with learning Ukrainian. They're not doing business in any way that deals with Russia to make sure they're not funding Russia or Belarus with any of their tax revenue or monetization whatsoever, which is something many companies have chosen to do, right? But it is fascinating to note that people aren't just interested in the issue, they're interested in the language that they might be hearing potentially for the first time in their lives. And finally, remember one of the keys to good marketing is how you name a thing. Have you heard about the Darvaza gas crater? Eh, probably not. Have you heard about the gateway to hell? You probably have. This is that giant burning crater in Central Asia's Turkmenistan that has been burning in the Karakum Desert. Uh, it's about 200 feet across, and it's been burning for mm, 50 years. <laughs> We're really not sure. In fact, nobody exactly knows how it all started or when it started burning. The one theory is that the Soviets were drilling, you know, when there was a Soviet Union, when the Soviets were drilling there and something went awry, we're not exactly sure, uh, that account has been disputed, but it released methane gas. Thereafter, Soviet scientists, again, according to the sort of legend, decided that they would set the methane on fire intentionally in order to prevent the gas from spreading. And this would, of course, you know, extinguish the source eventually as it burned all the way out and it would quickly fizzle. 50 years ago, <laughs> so it hasn't exactly panned out. Well, flash forward to 2022, and Turkmenistan is now concerned that this might be a danger, but also concerned about the environmental concerns. You know, methane is a, a greenhouse gas, right, a fairly potent one. Uh, also economic concerns that they're losing all of the gas that might be, you know, loads trapped down there that they'd like to be able to ref to tap into and, and sell, essentially. So Turkmenistan's president, Berta Mukhamadov, nailed it, says that the crater is negatively affecting both the environment and the health of the people living nearby. So they're trying to come up with a solution. One would be to drill a second access point sideways into the well in order to siphon gas out of the reservoir and, you know, sap the gateway essentially of its fuel source. Another possibility would be just to try to seal it off. I mean, 200 feet is not that big. It's not that small either. There are no manhole covers made that size. And Turkmenistan is looking for options and solutions from other countries that might be able to come in and help, like from Belarus or Slovenia. If you're concerned, again, about the greenhouse gas emissions, it's not really that much in the overall scheme, even of what carbon output is made by Turkmenistan. All I know is if they're going to put it out, I kind of want to book a flight soon to see the giant Bunsen burner in action before they extinguish it or sell it or throttle it back to something less exciting than gateway to hell standards. Well, that's it for the daily break. Be sure to head over to newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup and consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek. If you haven't already, before you go, if you wouldn't mind hitting that five-star rating, that helps me look good to my bosses. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the daily break brought to you by Newsweek.